message from Valley Bible Fellowship. It is our sincere prayer that you're richly blessed through the ministry of the Word. For more information about VBF, visit our website at vbf.org. Now, here's Pastor Ron Bietti. Am I on? I asked him to learn that song and teach you that song. You like that? I'm not ashamed of the one who saved my soul. Jesus saved my life. And I hope you're all doing good today. I hope you're doing better than me. I'm in the middle of a 72-hour fast, and uh, I told my wife I fall asleep out there, wake me up. Uh, and I'm doing it for, you know, uh, medical, physical. I just want to redo something, discipline. It's not a spiritual fast. If it was a spiritual fast, I, I would have been disallowed of telling you. Uh, by the Bible, when you do a spiritual fast, they say put a happy face on. But I'm really into this fasting thing once a month. And it just so happened to fall on a Sunday. And so if I fall asleep up here, just come wake me up and I'll just pick up where I left off at, okay? Uh, Let's uh, get right into it today. Got a lot to say. The last service, if you saw them walking out shaking their heads, I got pretty radical on them, okay? We'll see where we go here. They said, you started off slow, but you ended up fast. So let's pray this right here. Father God, thank you for the word. Give me the power to deliver it and help no one to eat a donut during the service. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. Jude 1, 3, and 4. It says, Beloved, while I was making every effort to write you about our common salvation, I felt the necessity. Now, I want to stop there. Jude is saying, He says, you know, I didn't want to write the book I wrote. I wanted to write to you about common salvation. I wanted to write a book kind of like Ephesians or one of the others. But he says, in the middle, he says, I felt the necessity to write to you appealing that you contend earnestly for the faith, which was once and for all handed down to the saints. For certain persons have crept in unnoticed, who were long beforehand marked out for this condemnation, ungodly persons who turn the grace of our God into licentiousness and deny our only master, our Lord Jesus Christ. So today, I really didn't want to preach this sermon, but I felt a necessity to do it. In fact, it's not just a sermon, it's a series that we're going to be in for two or three weeks. And uh, so let me read you another verse, 1 Corinthians 3, 10 through 15. According to the grace of God, which was given to me like a wise master builder, I laid a foundation and another is building on it. But each man must be what? What does it say? Careful how he builds on it. For no man can lay a foundation other than the one which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. Now if any man builds on the foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, or straw, Each man's work will become evident, for the day will show it, because it's to be revealed with fire, and the fire itself will test the quality of each man's work. If any man's work which he has built on it remains, he'll receive a reward. If any man's work is burned up, he'll suffer loss, but he himself will be saved, yet so as through fire. Now, here in our text, Paul compares our life to building a house, a house that God lives in. I said it two weeks ago, I'll say it again. Our bodies are on loan to us. Our bodies are not us. We live in this body. The body's in an earth suit. And we get to use this body that was loaned to us to glorify God on the earth until our time's over here. And then we, it goes back into the box, basically. Now, the stage right now that we're on today is under construction. You probably don't see it really well from back there. But they're going to start tearing stuff apart. It'll probably be under more construction in the next week or two. And it isn't going to be really nice for a couple, two or three weeks. But we have a plan. And it's going to knock you out. Once we get this stage finished on Easter, you will see it. Now, the construction stage of anything is usually, usually pretty messy. It can be noisy, chaotic. Uh, Debbie and I, her dad was a general contractor, 
and he built several houses for us through the years. And he built a, a little farmhouse up in Springville that we just loved. And back in that day, at least with him, we had to hand dig the foundation. And man, I worked, I, it was my job. And so I went out, man, and I would shovel. We had, during that time of building that, we had some real, real heavy rain showers. I'd come home all muddy and dirty out there digging, 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 throwing the water out. And uh, every once in a while, I'd look at the, at the layout of the, you know, the dirt that had the foundations dug, and I couldn't see the beauty of the house. Uh, but you know what? It's hard to see the beauty of anything all the time when it's under construction. Uh, the mess is part of the process. The architect, he knows it's no big deal, but you, you can't get a pretty house without the mess, the chaos, and the noise that happens during the building period. I really highly recommend that all of you go see the movie Jesus Revolution. When you see that movie, you're going to see the history of this church. My daughter told a lot of people down at the Thousand Oaks Church, she says, this could have been my dad's story right here. I mean, it's crazy. Uh, in the movie, Chuck Smith never really, well, not just the movie, in real life, uh, it didn't, it, what I was going to say, it didn't tell, this, tell us this in the movie. But Chuck Smith never really pastored a big church before he got Calvary Chapel, Costa Mesa. For years and years, he pastored these really small churches. But when God wanted to do something big in Chuck Smith's church, it got really messy quick. You see that in the movie. Uh, I cried a lot during the movie. In fact, I've seen it twice now. I took some other pastors to see it in Dallas, Texas. Uh, when I watched the movie, it became so real because I was out there on Monday night. I was in that audience. Uh, Lonnie Frisbee, I call, tried to call him two or three times to encourage him, never got through to him in the last days of his life. And so as I watched that movie, it was just surreal. It was unbelievable. Uh, but it was messy. As Chuck was building this big church, it got messy. In one part of the movie, Chuck comes out of his bedroom and sees all these hippies in his house. And he asks Lonnie, where'd they come from? He says, well, they had no place to stay, and I knew you wouldn't mind. And they were even camping out in his backyard, and you could tell Chuck Smith was not real happy with that. Uh, you saw the Pentecostal church that Chuck had there, probably 25 people in it. And when these undesirable hippies started coming in, all of the tithe payers left. They left. They got them left. They didn't stick around. And they prayed over cars, something that I did. I didn't know any better. I was in that same movement. I didn't even know they prayed over cars. But there was one funny part of the movie where uh, Lonnie Frisbee and the gang, they get Greg Laurie, an old Corvair, Chevy Corvair. It's all rusted out. So he could go out on dates in a car. And in the movie, it wouldn't, it wouldn't start. So they all laid hands. And while Greg's in there trying to start, they all laid hands and prayed for it a couple times, and it still wouldn't start. And I thought one comical part was when Lonnie Frisbee says, God, you're looking pretty bad down here right now. And, you know, we got to start this thing. And they prayed and it did. Uh, but we did that. Debbie and I, one day we had a little Porsche and little Tara set in the middle. And uh, we were uh, going to Lancaster to preach a service. And on the way, the car, I think it blew up. It just, boom, you know, that was it on, on the freeway here, 58. And uh, so we pulled over and I, my wife has raised Pentecostal. I said, we got to pray right now. She goes, okay, Heavenly Father, right now, Lord God, you got to. I said, oh, 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 I can't even think. That's the way Pentecostals pray. They really go, praise you, Lord. You know how they really got going. I said, wait, hold on a second. I got out and lay hands on it two or three times. It started up. We made our trip, and I sold it as soon as I got to Lancaster. But the guy bought it said, I never ran a better running portion in my life. It's because it was anointed by Jesus. That's the reason why. But I saw these things in the movie I wasn't even aware of. Uh, see, we started back on Potomac right back here, and again, it was the same thing. There was about 20 or 30 older people, and they eventually kicked me out because I was bringing the undesirables in. I was bringing teenagers with tattoos, and I was bringing them in, and they didn't like me, and they kicked me out. Well, here's a picture of when we first started the Quonset Hut. There's me and Debbie and little Tara. Uh, so we fit right in with that hippie mode, right? We were there, and... Uh, we never knew that little Tara was going to grow up to be a pastor's wife, Pastor Jim in, in uh, Thousand Oaks. But when you look at that young man right there, 24 years of age, 
Uh, you know, he had to go through a lot of messes to get to where he's at here. A lot of building had to go on. And what I believe then is not exactly what I believe now. But we're all on a journey. Now, I looked at that movie, and for those of you that saw it, by the way, how many of you did see it? Yeah. Uh, at the end, because I'm quite a bit older than what Chuck Smith would have been at that age, uh, I saw something really sad when him and Lonnie, they, they split ways. Because Lonnie was into the miraculous, and Chuck wanted to do more teaching. And he felt there was an imbalance. And as I look back, there could have been both. Now, some of you might not know, but there's been an outpouring of the Spirit on Wednesday night here. And uh, it's been pretty crazy the last two Wednesday nights. I... Uh, got off the plane from Dallas Wednesday night, came straight here, and uh, it was pretty cool. The, the crowds, I think, doubled from the last Wednesday night, and people are being healed. There's all kinds of things happening. It's pretty crazy. Uh, somebody says, what, why are, what are you doing? Uh, I'll probably talk about that in just a second. I think I have a place in my teaching where I, I want to talk about that. Well, no, let's talk about it now. That's fine. Come on, Ron, you can do this without any caffeine this morning, right? Uh, I rebuke the fact that I have to be addicted to caffeine. No, I don't need it. Holy Spirit's enough. But what we were doing is we saw this revival break out in Asbury, and everybody's pretty, pretty impressed with it. And then it moved to Texas A&M. They're baptizing kids out in the fountains and the, the waterways out in malls now. It's kind of spreading. And I started thinking, I thought, you know, in my lifetime, and even before I started the ministry, I've, no, I've read about revivals and their histories, and it just seems like sometimes that for no certain reason, God just sweeps across our country in revival. And there's no, no, no reason. We don't even know why. He just did that Calvary Chapel movement. I mean, God started doing revival down there through Lonnie Frisbee and all those hippies, man. They were, they were coming in, and, and it was crazy. Well, at the same time in Bakersfield, he finds this Ronaldo Luigi Pasquale Romani Ovietti guy. He finds me, 24-year-old kid, and gives me a vision, the only vision I've ever had in my life, and said, go start a church for me. And we got a, we got a dilapidated Quonset hut. Uh, and we, we went in there and started this church. That's where it came from, a Quonset with 15 teenagers. And we were true to it. But it was that, during that revival. So we thought, man, maybe there's another sweep going on now. So I said, let's just on Wednesday night just see what God's doing. Let's just get here and show, show up and see what happens. Now, nothing's planned on Wednesday night. If you notice, the worship band's up here is playing, and sometimes I'm back here going, now, what do we do now, God? What do you want to do now? Okay, you want to confess some sins. Last Wednesday night, I, okay, what are you doing? Okay, well, well, okay, yeah, where's the guys that are, that, are, that are suicidal? Come up here, and four people came up. They were suicidal. And it's just like the Holy Spirit, kind of an outpouring, and if you want to come, great. But what I'm saying with hindsight, I can see where maybe Chuck Smith went wrong. He could have told Lonnie Frisbee, instead of splitting, he could have said, hey, I'll do the teaching, and then we'll after, afterglow, and you do, you do the miracles. There could have been both. And I think that was a mistake by a younger pastor. Uh, and so here... We, we like teaching on Sunday morning, but on Wednesday night right now, I went to the young leaders here, and I said, how's this coming across? He said, Pastor, keep showing up. I said, are you sure? Maybe you young guys want to do it. No, we want you there. And so uh, we will continue. So if you haven't seen the movie, I'd really encourage you to see the movie. The point I wanted to make with all of that is that when Chuck Smith, when God wanted to do something big in the church, it got messy. It got messy. And it could get messy here. You don't know. Now, personally speaking, we're all on a journey. And, and we're going to grow on that journey. We're going to go through a lot of messiness. I'm going to give some ramas this morning. Here's a rhema for somebody here. God won't give you what he has for you until he knows you can handle it. Can I say it again? God will not give what he wants to give to you until he knows you can handle it. You've got to get through the messy moments. You look in the Bible, Abraham had his messy moments. David did, Peter did, Paul did, Elijah, Joseph. We're all a work in progress. And when we realize that we're all a work in progress, you know what? There'll be a lot less judging in the church. When I look in the mirror and see this guy needs a lot of work, I'm not going to want to judge you. We all got our hands full. And so uh, we're all on this journey. There's going to be some messes. There's going to be crazy things happen. But you know, our spiritual journey we're on, the results of what we want sometimes don't happen overnight. 
See, it's going gonna, it's gonna to take time, so don't get discouraged on your journey. Here's what the Bible says, 2 Corinthians 5, 17. Therefore, if any person is engrafted in Christ the Messiah, he's a new creation, a new creature altogether. The old previous moral and spiritual condition has passed away. Behold, the fresh and the new has come. Now, you're on a journey. Say with me, I'm on a journey. It's going to take God a while to get all the right VIPs in the right place. God has people that he wants in your life, and he's going to move them in. It takes time. Uh, it takes time to learn to hear God's voice. It takes time to learn how to pray, understand how God operates. Don't give up. You're on a journey. I'm going to say something to you, some of you older Christians, and I love you to death, but some of you have stopped growing. I don't know why. I guess you think you've arrived. You know, like the balls of clay that I use to describe salvation. We're all a red ball. When we get saved, the blue ball comes out of heaven, and through a process called sanctification, the red and blue become purple. And some older Christians, they got red and blue still in. They're not quite purple yet, and they've just stopped growing. I'll tell you, as I stand here today, I hope and pray that I'm two or three times deeper in five years. I'm not going to stop. I want to learn how to pray better. I want to learn how to hear God's voice even better than I know it now. Uh, and so that's a rhema for some of you older Christians. Let those who have ears hear what God's saying. Now, on your journey, you're going to fail God maybe. You might fall into sin. You, you're going to face a lot of trials. But that doesn't disqualify you from God's purposes if you don't run from God. It's so easy to give up in the messy phases. So easy. I was in one of the messiest phases of my life. 30 years ago, or I don't know how long ago, and I wanted to give up so badly, and my wife wouldn't let me. I mean, I said, I, I, I made a mess of things, Debbie. I don't want to be in this business. I, I went to school to be an attorney, a lawyer. I'm, I was to be a lawyer. I'm going to make the big bucks, you know. And every morning for two weeks, I'd get up, my wife would be sitting on the couch in the front room, reading her Bible and saying, Ron Vietti, you will not give up. Well, I didn't take it. Uh, one day I told her, I said, get ready, we're going to L.A. She said, what are you going to do? I said, I'm giving my resignation letter to my elders. And I went down there, and these older guys come out, doctorate degrees and everything, and I handed them my resignation letter. I said, I'm resigning. God, God chose the wrong guy. And at that time, my life was very messy. And they looked at my wife after they heard my story. They said, what do you want to do? She said, I want him to stay in the ministry. That's what I want. And they ripped my letter up, my resignation letter. And I said, can you do that? They said, we just did it. I said, I don't know. And so, but it's easy to give up when life gets messy. So many people through the years that I've known, they run from God when life gets messy instead of running to Him and staying at the altar and praying through it. So sometimes your, your spiritual growth even gets stunted. And sometimes you're growing and you're going forward, but it gets kind of stunted. And sometimes you have to take two steps backward before we can continue to go forward. Uh, sometimes you need to deal with a stronghold. My son, I was so proud of him. When he came to me, he said, Dad, for years I've been struggling with this depression thing, and i got to call time out, Dad. i got to take care of it. And he saw that he needed to take a couple steps backwards so he could continue to go forward. Uh, maybe you have an infected scab, spiritual scab on you. See, sometimes we get wounded in life, and we try to scab over it, but it's still infected because we never dealt with it properly. I did a sermon years ago. I'll never forget the title. It was called, Turn Your Wounds into Scars and Your Scars into Stars. And I told the people, we get wounded in life. In our journey, we get wounded. For example, today, if I said certain things, some of you would get kind of a, an emotional reaction. You know, your jaw muscles might start tightening, whatever. If I said things like, divorce divorce, and you go, oh, see, it's probably still an open wound. See, if I get a wound on my body, a wound, if I press on it real hard, it usually brings tears to my eyes. It creates, but when it's, when it's a scar and it's healed, it doesn't. Uh, if I said things like adultery, some of you go, oh, man, get off the topic, get off the topic. Oh, I can't stand that. How about your father, your mother? I could say certain words that would, that would create emotions in you because some of you are still wounded. And those wounds have not turned into scars. And then your scars turn into stars. Now, some of you, 
You know, you might need to go back right now and mend a, a broken relationship. I'll give you another rhema. Maybe you can't bring that relationship back to what it was in the past, but you can get peace in that relationship. And if you do that, God can do a whole lot with it. That's a rhema for someone. Don't get discouraged. Don't give up. Moses didn't get a good start in life, did he? He was put in a wicker basket or a basket and put in the river. He blew his chance to be great in the world's eyes. He lived on the backside of the desert for a long time. And it looked like for Moses that his life just wasn't going anywhere. He might have thought, wow, I had a chance to live with fame and game and money. I had the chance and I blew it. And now I blow my chance with God because I killed somebody. And it would have been so easy for him to give up and settle for something less than God's best. Uh, I don't know who it is, but it's time to start all over again. You've got to start, start following God. You, you've given up, and it's time to, 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 to take that, that, that giving up attitude and get rid of it and start going forward with Christ again. See, Moses, it happened for him. He was out in the desert, saw this ugly bush on fire, and God spoke to him through that bush. Well, you know what? You're here today. Bakersfield's a desert, and this is an ugly guy up here, but I'm on fire. So you might hear God through me. You might hear God through me. And that's exactly what Moses did. He got back on track with God. Now, from childhood, we've been handed a lot of building blocks and a template, and, and we've used that to, to get our present worldview. Some of those blocks that we've been handed are good and healthy. Others are not. And I'm going to use the word here, and I might regret it, but we might need to do some deconstruction in our belief system so we can do some reconstruction. Because, and listen to me, this is one of the most important things I'm going to say today. Some of you cannot get where God wants to take you with your present belief system. Can I say that again? Some of you cannot get where God wants to take you with your present belief system. It needs to be changed. And so I use that word hesitantly, deconstruction, because it's a hot topic right now. It has different meanings for different people. It's so easy to be under, misunderstood. Let me kind of give you a working definition of what I'm talking about, deconstruction. It's a process that often revolves around questioning the tenets of our faith. It, it, it's where we unpack and we re-examine and rethink through some of our beliefs. I never like to talk about deconstruction without talking about reconstruction. It takes courage, a lot of prayer sometimes, to go back and look. I had to do this the first 10 or 15 years of my ministry. I had been taught a lot of stuff in the traditional church. After going back and repacking it or unpacking it and looking at it, I found out that's not scriptural. I had to change my mind a lot about speaking in tongues, baptism of the Holy Spirit, the Bible, the church, healing, leadership, Christian marriage, a women's role in the church. I had to go back and look at all that. Now, many things that I were taught growing up were not biblically sound. Now, when it comes to building biblical truths uh, from Scripture, we need to remember these, these key elements right here. If we're going to build spiritual truths from Scripture, the first thing we must do is always put things in context. Always context. Many people know that I, I Reformed theology and me disagree on, 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 on an issue big time, and a lot of the Reformed pastors in town aren't real fond of me, but I think they misrepresent the person of God, and they do it by using Scripture in Romans 9. That's one of their proof texts. And if you look back at Romans 9, 10, 11, those verses, that's all about a nation, not about people. That's not about personal salvation. Well, you know, God hated Esau and loved Jacob. That's about a nation. That's why Jacob's name was changed to Israel. It's about a nation. It doesn't fit with personal uh, salvation. And so you've got to have the context. Number two, you have to have the culture in which it was taught. You've got to look at Scripture with culture. For example, foot washing. That was a cultural thing. I've had people come to me and say, let's have a foot washing service. I say, no, you're going to do it without me. 
In those days, they wore sandals. They got their feet dirty, and it was an act of courtesy. It was commonly done in that land. It's not commonly done today. Today, we might have fungus among us with these tennis shoes on. I'm, no, I'm not going to do it. I'm not going to do it. And so today, maybe you want to go wash somebody's cars. It was just an act of service. It was a courtesy thing. You have to look at culture. Uh, in one passage, I think it said women had to be quiet in church in Corinthians, and I think there it's more cultural because in those days, the women sat on one side, the men on the other, and they would start questioning one. They say, hey, just be quiet. Ask your husbands when you get home. Some of this is cultural, not all of it. Uh, then you've got to look at the original language, the original language, because some of the Bible's written in Hebrew, some's in Greek, Aramaic, and you've got to look at that. That'll, that'll you know, really do something good for you when you study something uh, that you want to put insert into your life. Number four, you've got to look at the intent of the writer. This is really big to me, really big to me. Uh, I, I have a, a stand today that's probably not popular with everyone, but you know right now we're, we're living with something where the Southern Baptist Church has kicked Saddle back out and some other churches because of, of their ordaining women pastors. And, uh, and so we're in the middle of that right now, but I want to kind of take you to something here, and it's not going to be popular with everybody, but I'm going to show you something as we're, we're trying to get biblical truths down by using the Bible. I'm a firm believer that you have to look at passages very often, and you have to pull back and see what is the author really saying here. You can't take every one of them just literally as they were written. For example, 1 Timothy chapter 2. Let's look back and start with verse 8. It says, Therefore I want the men in every place to pray, lifting up holy hands without wrath and dissension. Okay, now hold I want men in every place to pray lifting up hands. So if we take that literally, when you go in Starbucks and you pray over your, 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 egg, your egg whites and your, your coffee, you got to lift your hands up, right? That's what it says. It says you got to lay holy hands. you got to lift them up when you pray. Uh, well, we step back and look at the spirit of what the author is trying to say. I think what he's saying is I want my people, when they pray all the time, which they're going to be doing, I want them to pray without dissension and hard hearts. I want their hearts to be right. That's what he's saying there. Doesn't mean we have to, every place we go, okay, right now I'm at Starbucks, I got to pray and lift my hands up in the holy place, you know. That's not it. Look at the next verse, same chapter. Likewise, I want women to adorn themselves with proper clothing, modestly and discreetly, not with braided hair and gold or pearls or costly garments. So we take that literally, my wife has to now shop at the secondhand store. She can't buy anything expensive, she can't wear jewelry. But no, as you look back at that and you go, what's the author trying to say? He's trying to say that I want godliness to be a bigger priority than how you look. I want you to be godly. I want you to shine from the inside. I want you to be, don't put all the emphasis on the outside. Is it wrong to wear? No, I don't think so. Then it gets a little stickier. It goes on. Give me the next verse. But I do not allow a woman to teach or exercise authority over a man, but to remain quiet. Now, some have taken that today to mean that women have to be totally silent in church. But I think the key is in the word where it says teach. Now that's in the present infinitive. And in the Greek it means in an ongoing, constant, consistent way. She's always teaching, always teaching. She's trying to be the dude. She's trying to take over control because it says, I, I don't want her to have authority over the man. And then it goes on, and what does it say? For it was Adam who was created first and then Eve, and it was Adam who deceived, not, not the, and he goes back to creation. Now, I believe with all of my heart, and I'm going to show you in a moment, and in this series we'll talk more about it. You go back to creation. The first Adam had too many working parts. He, he had traits of femininity and masculinity. One day he'd be shouting at the lions, Lions, shut up! I said, shut up! God says, shut up! Next day he's in a fetal position crying and saying, I just don't want to go out there today. You know, I, I, it's just that time of the month and I don't want to go. He had both feminine and masculine. Okay, and then God one day said, you know what? Put a deep sleep over Adam. While he sleeps, I'm going to take out softness, tenderness, gentleness, and put it over here in the woman. I'm going to leave the masculine traits in the man, and I'm going to bring them together and let them work in teamwork. And that's kind of what he did. And so I think he's saying here, he says, man, when it comes to leadership in my kingdom, I think the man's made better for that because of creation. He's got the masculine traits. He's got the tough traits, you know. So he's better. And so we'll put them in eldership position, men, okay? But here's the clincher. A woman, in my mind, in the local church, can do anything that a man does. 
I think anything. I think the male leadership is biblical, but I think uh, when you have your male pastor and leadership, the authority, I think the women can do anything in the church that the man does because they're not trying to usurp authority. Nicole's one of the best teachers around. She's not getting up here going, scoot aside, I've got this. She's not doing that. Vicki Loman's another one. She's a good one. And uh, because you've got to go back and you've got to exegete Scripture. What do you mean exegete it? Okay, what about uh, Deborah in the Old Testament? She was a leader of the country, a judge. Huldah, I love that one. In 2 Kings, uh, Josiah and them, they find the, 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 the oracles of God in the, in the temple. And Josiah's man, go find out what this means. And the priest and everybody got together and went to Huldah. And Huldah says, thus saith the Lord, you go tell the men that's with you. You tell them this. I mean, that's pretty crazy. And then, of course, you have Miriam, and you have Anna. You have the daughters of Philip, four prophetesses. You got Phoebe. You have uh, Junia, another one. If you read Romans 16 and 7, you'll see she could have been an apostle. I don't think that's what it's saying, but she was among the apostles even and ministering during that time. That's what Paul says. And then you've got Mary, and you go on and on and on. So I think what we've got to do in our belief system, we've got to go to the Word of God, handle it accurately. Uh, you know, I'm the lead pastor here, and, and uh, you know, and I am right now, and I might be for many more years. But I think a woman can do anything in this church that a man can do. I think she can. And she's welcome to do it. I've had board meetings before where us men will get together for three hours We'll take these deep topics, and we'll come up with some solutions. And I'll go home, and in five minutes, my wife will say, that's like the stupidest thing I ever heard in my life that you guys came up with. you got to change that. And I'll say, my wife said, we got to change it, guys. we got to change it. And she's right. Because, see, we're all children of God. And there's times that we have to submit to one another. Because my wife, you know, my wife recognizes me that there's the authority of our family. There's been two times in our entire life she's run. You're, you're the leader. God's made you the leader, so whatever you're going to do, do it. I don't agree, but I'm going I'm to back you up. And she believes that. But I would say probably during our lifetime, I probably to submit to her more times than she submitted to me because she's speaking God's word. She's, and I, I missed it for some reason. And, and I go, wow, you know, I understand that, babe. We've got to do it. See, we're a family. And I think today we've got to be very careful with that. So you've got to see the spirit of what they're trying to say. And then another thing, too, is you have to, does what being taught, does it line up with experience? If we're teaching a doctrine of divine healing and no one's getting healed, then something's probably wrong. If we're teaching deliverance, that we can deliver people from demon spirits and no one's getting delivered, something's probably wrong. If we're teaching truth and no one's getting set free, if we have a truth doctrine and no one's being set free, then something's probably wrong. Marriages, if we're teaching the right doctrine, people will be healed. That's why, again, some of you missed it, but we already sold out a few weeks ago on our marriage retreat. It's sold out. And uh, those of you that are coming, it's going to be a lot of healing things spoken at that marriage retreat. And I could go on and on. Now, while we're talking about building, I want to watch the clock. I'm going to be just real brief here. Let's talk about building bridges. Bridges. Now, the church today is losing a whole generation of young people. We're losing them, especially the millennials, also some Gen Zs. And I went to the internet this week and looked up, what are some of the reasons the millennials and Gen Zs are leaving the church? And uh, I looked up some of the reasons, and here's what some of the articles said. Number the one, the church is too focused on power and money, too focused on power and money, and it's turning us off. If we're not careful, we can become a machine, and we become big shots. I bring pastors from all over the United States out for replenish seminars. We got another batch coming in May. And they said something one day that just blew me away. And to me, it, it kind of gave me a glimpse of, of where the church is getting off at. They said, Pastor, we cannot believe you're a pastor of a mega church and you're spending all afternoon with us. I said, really? Why do you have a hard time believing that? They said, most mega chat, chat pastors are untouchable. You can't touch them. Uh, they, they do their own thing, and they won't come and spend the day with us. I said, you got it. And I heard it repetitiously, and I've got to be kidding. Um, we went back to Dallas, Texas. We had to go back there this week. And I was going to drive, and then I was going to fly home. And uh, my wife was very worried. My son was worried, going, Dad, that weather is horrible. And I was driving by myself. And they kept praying and praying and praying. And so finally, my son said, Dad, look, 
I just got you two tickets, man. He said, the, the roads are closed, you can't do it. And then I found out yesterday, somebody called me, two pastors from California were driving in that same weather I was, and they were killed this last weekend. They were killed. And so I don't know if it was God saving me or whatever. I don't know why he didn't save them. He loves them as much as me. But, but anyway, long story short, one of the reasons I was doing that is I, I, I want to stay healthy, and I didn't want to get back a lot of people on the plane because the last time I got COVID, my cancer numbers shot straight up. And I go, eh, I don't think I want to get COVID. So that's one of the reasons I was doing it. And my son said, Dad, I got your first class. He said it was only $100 extra each way. And I'll even pay it myself. But I wanted you to have that. Now, I sat there. And every person, because Bakersfield people were all on that flight. Every time they come by, I go, I don't normally fly first class. I want to tell you why. You know, honestly, I don't. They surprise me. I usually drive coach back with you guys, you know, even though first class gets to the destination quicker than back there, but uh, <laughs> not really. But I kept apologizing. And people told me, we know pastors, they go first class, they do first class everything. Well, that's okay. I'm not going to judge them. But I feel I'm a servant to the people. And I'm not anything hot shot. I don't need to be anything better. And it really bothered me. And people were very gracious. Every time they come by, I go, no, you know, the whole reason I'm here... Uh, but, but the, the millennials and some of the Gen Zs are saying the church has become too much of a machine. It's, it's too much power, and, it's, 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 and, and they don't like that. Jesus was just out in the marketplace, wasn't he? Just a revolutionary out there. I want to be like Jesus. I want to be, I want to follow him. Now, Ron, you got 10 minutes, buddy. You got to keep moving here. You got to keep moving. Uh, so anyway, that, that was another one. Another one of their, their, their beefs were is we don't feel accepted in the church. Uh, According to one article, it says, it seems millennials are easy targets for derision. Some make fun of their supposed low work ethics. Some make fun of their perceived spirit of entitlement. And it says the millennials, they don't want to come to church where they're made fun of. And when I read that, I thought, there's been a couple of times I made millennial jokes over the years. And I just want to say, I, I'm apologetic. I'm sorry. You guys don't deserve to be stereotyped, you Gen Zs or, or, or millennials. We love you, and you got great potential. And uh, so forgive me for anything I've ever said, because that's wrong. That, they just want to be respected. And so there's a, a thought pattern that, that makes you tend to think that millennials don't want to go deeper in the Word, that they don't want, you know, they don't want deeper sermons, they don't want deeper teaching. But so that's not true. They want to go deeper. They just don't want canned responses. They, they want, you know, they want to know why. For example, I came out here Wednesday night and had a baseball cap on, and a lot of people, you know, there's churches around probably Bakersfield even. If you came in with a baseball cap on, they go, take the cap off. You're in the house of God. And I go, where'd, where'd you get that at? You know, I had a baseball cap on Wednesday night, and I, t I, I, I did our thing that way. And, well, 1 Corinthians 11. Do you understand 1 Corinthians 11 is talking about submission and authority and the caps of symbolism? Plus, did you know in 1 Corinthians 11 that that was the Greek culture that Paul was talking about? The Jewish culture was just the opposite. Men had to have their heads covered when they prayed. Just the opposite of the Greeks. And so we've got to get back to the Word. And in this series, I'm going to take you back to the Word. And I want to take some of the key elements that VBF believes in, and I want to, I want to go through them with you and see the reason why we believe what we believe. Uh, they want space to ask questions, and that's fine. So in the closing moments, and i got just about 10 minutes, like I said, I want to hit briefly on two or three things that you might be confused about. Number one is the written Word of God, the written Word of God. It scares me to think that we're leaving the written Word of God today. We can't leave it. That is our guide. That is our model. You can't be a church without the written Word of God. Now, I might see it a little different than you, but you know what? Some of those are secondary issues. Uh, let me give you some verses on the written Word of God. Look at this first passage. It says, all Scripture is inspired by God and profitable for teaching, reproof, correction, training, and righteousness, so that the man of God may be adequate, equipped for every good work. Look at Matthew 4 and 4. Jesus says, it is written, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. We need three, three meals a day to stay physically healthy. You need to hear God constantly and obey His Word constantly if you want a healthy life. Look at John 17, 17. Sanctify them in the truth. 
for your word is the truth. Now, I want to take off. One of the other things that the, uh, the millennials said and the Gen Z said is they don't like the church because it's exclusive to certain types of people. And they, they talked about the LGBTQ plus community. Now, I want to tell you something. Listen to me closely because this is very, very important. That the gospel and the word of God has a stigma to it. And that stigma is it offends people. It offends people. So many want a gospel doesn't offend. And that's not the true gospel of Jesus Christ. Let's go back. I have a big problem with the transgender thing going on today, and I think the Word of God has a big problem with it. Let me read something to you in the book of Psalms. Now, this is the Word of God. This is what we base our life on. It says, for you, God, form my inward parts. You wove me in my mother's womb. I'll give thanks to you, for I'm fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works, and my soul knows it very well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in secret and skillfully wrought in the depths of the earth. Excuse me. Your eyes have seen my uninformed, unformed, unformed substance. In your book, it was all written. The days that were ordained for me when as yet there was not one of them. Now, God is sovereign. If you're born a female, it's because he wanted you born a female. If you're born a male, it's because God wanted you born a male. And when you start messing with that, you're messing with the sovereignty of God. You got it? You're messing with the sovereignty of God Almighty. We're not like the people out there. We have Jesus living in our body, and we're going to think differently, we're going to see things differently, and we're going to stand for different things. Dr. Phil the other day had a show on people who transitioned when they were teenagers. And he had guest after guest that said, I made a mistake. I made a mistake. I mean, this society today is plumb crazy in some areas. What makes you think a 14, 15, 16-year-old kid can decide on their gender when they don't even know what they'll wear to school on Monday morning? And they're going to change their mind five times about that. I'm telling you, the world's crazy, and some of you are starting to follow them. you got Jesus in you. You have an anointing. No one needs to teach you. You know these things are wrong. So what are you saying, Ron? I'm saying to you that, you know what? I'm sorry to the millennials and some of the people who, some of them who think this way, but we have stand true to the Word of God. And I'll tell you today, if 20 transgenders come in here and want to start attending church, I'm going to treat them like I do every other person. You will not see a heartbeat of difference. I'm going to love them because you know why? We're all sinners in need of being saved. All of us are. And you know what? Jealousy is a sin. Envy is a sin. Gossiping is a sin. It's all a sin. But when they ask me what I believe, I will tell them, you're transgressing God's law, and it's wrong, and it's sinful, and I will make a stand but I will also love them. Uh, we've got to see this, gang, that we're called to love, and we're also to stand up for the truth. The Word of God is the truth, and we've got to stand up. I know we might disagree a little bit on how we interpret certain passages. I'll have trolls come after me this week, I guarantee you. They won't like the woman thing, but you know what? I'm like I'm on the millionaire show. That's my final answer, and I'm going to stick with it until God shows me differently. I think women are a gift to this church. And I don't have any women here trying to usurp my authority as pastor. We work together. Nicole's a sweetheart. Vicki Lohman is so good. And so we've got to base our life on the Word of God. We have Jesus inside of us. He lives inside of us. That's why we're called aliens. You know what? We're called aliens in the Bible. That's sojourners, strangers, one living among a people who's not his own. I'm an ambassador. I'm from a different country. I'm a citizen of a different country. And I'm a peculiar person, saints, salt of the earth. I read a, I read a, a, a verse to a young person today. They said, I didn't know it was in the Bible, Pastor Ron. Look at Matthew 10, 34, 35. Do not think, this is Jesus, that I came to bring peace on earth. I didn't come to bring peace, but a sword. For I came to set a man against his father, a daughter against her mother, a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law, 
And again, step back and look at that in the spirit of that. What he's saying is sometimes because you have Jesus in you and your, your relatives don't, you're going to have opposition. They're not going to like what you teach. They're not going to like what you stand for. I had, I'm telling you, and we don't get involved in politics here, but sometimes the line's kind of, kind of you know, tough to see in between politics and values. As people sent me videos this week. One video was uh, a lady, she got up and said that she wanted to see the, the books in the elementary school library, and the school board met together and filed a lawsuit against her. And she's got her whole testimony online. Another one, someone sent me, a little 11-year-old boy got up and said, this book was in our library at the door when I came in. And he started reading about two young people having sex, very graphic. And it blew me away. And then the dad got up and said, that's my son right there. And the boy, praised God, he was raised so right that he checked the book out to go home and show it to his dad. Praise God. But the dad got up and said, my son's in high school, and they have books in their library that, are, that show pictures of males having oral sex with males. And he said, that should not be. So what I'm saying to you today is, no, we're not always going to be loved. we got to stand up. we got to make our schools in Kern County responsible, make sure they're not doing this stuff. And we got to get together so we're not always going to be loved because the world dances and walks to a different drumbeat than we do. We've got Jesus in us. We don't want our kids taught that. We believe it's unbiblical. It's messing with the sovereignty of God. Yeah, I could preach all right. I'm telling you, I'm getting kind of upset here. Do you understand what the Bible says? In the last days, some people would not endure sound doctrine, but they'll get for themselves preachers who will tickle their ears. The Bible says there's a way that seems right to a man, but the end of that way is destruction. Paul tried to tell us, don't be conformed or pressed into the mold of the world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. He said the world's going to try to press you into their mold. And they're going to cancel you. And they're going to call you names when you don't agree with them. But we're Christians standing on the Word of God. And we've got to forever stand on it. The Bible says that the gate is wide that leads to destruction. And it's narrow that leads to life. The Bible says some people have a form of godliness, but they deny the power thereof. That's dunamis, dynamite. Someone sent me another video this week. I've had a black church back east. Three armed young men came in with pistols in their, in their belt. They came in. The pastor saw them. And he, he told the, 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 the deacon, says, go lock the place down. Lock it down. And he goes back during service. And I believe this guy probably believed in spiritual warfare. And he says, man, I just want to welcome you guys to church this morning. He saw they had guns. He said, I don't know what brought you here, but everybody, let's clap and give them a welcome for being here today. And then he went on. And he says, you know... I'm an ex-cop, and I know what's coming down here. He says, but I'm anointed by God, and I want to know if I can pray for you guys. We're going to change the theme in this room right now. They let him pray for him, and they stayed there through the whole service, for the song service, everything. And he says, you're going to leave here a changed person. What you believe will affect where God wants to take you. There are people that don't believe in miracles, and if you don't believe in miracles, that's fine, but it might affect where God wants to take you. This man should be dead, right? Right. But I believe in miracles. Some of you don't believe in God's voice. I go on and on and on. Woo! But I got another week, okay? Ah. I think I'm through. This is all God. So I was so weak in the middle of the 72-hour fast. I came out here, and I told my wife, I said, pray for me, babe. Pray for me. So I know she's interceding. Uh, I don't know where we end this at. But I'm going to have John come out, Ranger. Every once in a while, I like to teach you a song of Scripture. You know, when I was younger, I memorized Scripture so well when I was 20, 25, by singing songs. And so I think it's appropriate today for us to sing a Scripture song found in Corinthians, that I'm a new creation. Old things have passed away, new things are coming. You're on a journey. It's going to get messy sometimes. But we love everybody. Love everybody. Oh, I love you even more. And I hope we always treat everybody with dignity. We treat everybody with respect. Again, some people think 
that if you accept someone, you have to condone their lifestyle. You don't. You can accept them and in love tell them where they're wrong when they ask. Say, you're wrong. This is not God's will. And I can show you verses. So you think for a week or two we could unpack some, some biblical doctrines that we firmly believe in here and see why they're scriptural? Would that be good? I got to go to marriage retreat next week, but we'll have something special for you. So learn this song, then you're dismissed. God bless. Well, come on, get on your feet, everybody. You guys ready to learn a little scripture? It's a pretty simple song. I'll sing it for you, and then you guys can sing it with me. Well, I'm a new creation. I'm a brand new man. All things have passed away. I'm born again. More than a conqueror. That's who I am. I'm a new creation. I'm a brand new man. You guys got it? Here we go. I'm a new creation. I'm a brand new man. Old things have passed away. I'm born again. More than a conqueror. That's who I am. I'm a new creation. I'm a brand new man. One more time. I'm a new creation. I'm a brand new man. Old things have passed away. I'm born again. More than a conqueror. That's who I am. I'm a new creation. I'm a brand new man. Y'all guys have a great week. Prayer teams are up front. We'll see you next time. Thank you for listening. We pray that this message has ministered to your heart. If you don't already have a church you call home, we invite you to join us at Valley Bible Fellowship for worship, Bible study, fellowship, and more. We're at 2300 East Brundage Lane in Bakersfield, California, near Mount Vernon and Freeway 58. Reach us by phone at 661-325-2251 or visit our website at vbf.org. Here is our King, here is our Lord.